Did you ever think you would make it? I feel I'm so close, I could take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value taming, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to hate it. Now they run, homie, look what I become. I'm, the, I'm, the one. I'm Patrick Bedevi, host of Valley Team, and today I'm sitting down with Dr. Judy Mikovits. This is an individual that when I did the interview with her and we uploaded it on YouTube, within one week it got nearly a couple million views, and then it was taken down off YouTube. So there's a lot of people that are asking me to watch this interview or listen to this interview, and one of the suggestions I would make as you're going through this is either watch it all the way through, listen to it all the way through, or don't listen to it. This isn't something to just listen to for five minutes and then go have your own opinion to create. This is something you need to listen to all the way through because she gets challenged on some topics. She brings up some issues of her having worked indirectly with Dr. Anthony Fauci during the AIDS pandemic. And she's someone that's having a lot of her interviews being taken down. Again, my suggestion, either watch the whole thing and listen to the whole thing or don't listen to the whole thing at all because some of the things she talks about can be very, very controversial. Enjoy this interview with Dr. Judy Mikovits. Thanks for being a guest on Vitamin today. Um, nice to be here, Pat. So Dr. Judy, I'm just curious. You know, a lot of times when, uh, you know, you ask somebody, why did you become a soldier? Oh, because my dad was a general. You know, so why did you become a real estate? Oh, my mom was in real estate. What, what inspired you to go out there and want to do what you've done your entire life? Well, it, it's, it's actually because when I was, um, oh, maybe 10 or 12 years old, um, my grandfather got lung cancer. And so at that time, cancer was a closet disease. Nobody said anything about it. It was nobody knew if it was infectious. Nobody knew anything. So it was, you know, and so I thought, you know, well, we should be able to understand what causes cancer and how to treat it like with food and with plants. So I went to University of Virginia and got a, a degree um, my, in, um, in chemistry with a specialization in biology. I think of the 128 hours I took between 1976 and 1980, I took 124 hours in science, biology, science, physics, math, and four hours of German because it was required to get a chemistry German. degree. I didn't take I didn't take an English class. I didn't take a, a a history class. I had placed out of all of that. Um, and it's interesting because you'll see in Plague of Corruption, it goes into a little bit more of the story. Plague's a little bit too much science for most people. So we wrote Plague of Corruption when we really understood what this was all about. I had no idea mm. in 2014 when we wrote Plague. So and, and so we tell the story. We went right back and said, you know, and that. That was my passion. That was it. Was everything. And when I when I did so, I I didn't get in medical school um, because um, we didn't have any money. And and um, so I I thought what I'll do. And on on March thirty first, nineteen eighty, the cover of Time magazine was a hypodermic needle with a drop coming out. It was the big if interferon. The magic bullet for cancer. The reason I remember it like it was yesterday is it was the day before my birthday. Wow. And the only job offers I was getting um, was to go to oil companies in Texas. And I really <laughs> didn't want to do that. So I saw that magazine and I, and I heard first. I didn't even know it was a cancer institute. Mm. Um, and, and so then I, I, I answered an ad in the Washington Post because I'm from the Washington area. My sister um, was living in Vienna and that I lived with my sister there. 
there that summer. Nice. And I answered the po- uh, a job in the Washington Post looking for a for a biochemist to purify interferon. And I'm like, that's the job. I'm going to go spend one or two years learning how to cure cancer, and then I'll go back to medical school. And it ended up being 40 years. So, that's so, so, so if, if I was in high school with you, you, you're 15, 16, we're classmates. Who, who were you in high school? Um, in, in high school, I was the angry kid with a chip on my shoulder from a divorced family. Um, I, I had a high school teacher say, I told him I was going to be a doctor, and he laughed because I didn't do well in science classes. I did well in independent study if a teacher would just let me go. And I had my favorite high school teacher was Ann Peabody. She was my English teacher, and she let me do independent study. Um, and she, um, and, and she, um, she actually, I got a scholarship to go to University of Virginia because my family, I was the only kid mm. to go to university out of four kids. Um, and, and in fact, Elizabeth Dole, they lived in the area of, um, of the Congress and Senate. So Elizabeth Dole was a friend of Ann Peabody, um, and, she, um, and, and they helped me get a scholarship to University of Virginia. Ann said, this is a kid that needs to go to college. So I ended up there, and um, that you know it was kind of the rest was history so I I I wouldn't even I was such a wahoo and a Virginian that I didn't want to admit I was working in Maryland and you know not going to do that not proud yeah very very cool so 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 what's the next transition of you going from there to being a doctor and then studying the topics that you did uh, well, when, when I was first do it, so we purified interferon, that was fun, put it into people. And at that time, the first human cancer causing retrovirus, a virus like HIV AIDS, it's, it's just a, a family of RNA viruses like okay. a coronavirus, who cares what they name them. The first cancer causing retrovirus family was identified by who ended up being my lifelong mentor and colleague, Dr. Frank Rossetti. So I was told in the job, my next job after interferon was to purify that retrovirus using an open air piece of equipment that could have aerosolized it, could have spread it through the air. And we didn't know anything about the transmission. You know, we're, we're 22, 23 years old. Many of the technicians were, were, were newly married and some even pregnant. And so my, my boss, a young man of 30, um, and, and I, we were just, you know, and we, we said, we wrote a letter. And we said, there's no safety here. There's no safety in place. This is, this is really unethical. And, and they said, you make it. And, and this was Bob Gallo's lab, Robert Gallo, who um, was also in the National Cancer Institute. Um, and, uh, was Bob Gallo the one that was working under Dr. Fauci at that time or no? Was he, he working, was, with, he was working with him? He was working, he was working with, with, him. with him. They were in different divisions. But again, um, Frank Rossetti was a, was a postdoctoral fellow who made the discoveries in Bob Gallo's lab. And, and Bob Gallo fired him because he was getting too much credit. Just, just going to let you go to this old boys corrupt network. This is the, the, you know, this is, I was only the second class of women at the University of Gen- the Arts and Sciences, something other than nursing or education. Um, and, and, and the first class was one that Katie Couric was in, in 1975. So still, you know, so interesting. But at any rate, um, this is, you know, the old boys network is alive and well, um, in, in, especially in the sciences. So um, I, we purified the, inter- the, the stuff, we made the virus, we did the work, we made 
made sure that pregnant women, we just put them on other projects. And Mark and I did it by ourselves, sleeping there almost around the clock because he had a new baby at home. So we didn't want to risk anybody getting infected. And so this, um, and um, as soon as we finished the project, I got a letter from, from the government saying my job had been eliminated and they didn't need a protein chemist in, in the fermentation program. And I was the only one. So I was, I went to listen to a seminar that day, um, thinking, boy, what's my family going to think? I, I don't get into med school. Now I've lost this job and losing this job. I'll never get into medical school. And, and, and here I am, you know, I'm done as far as a scientist goes. And so I just, I go to a seminar and I hear about these things called cytokines and Joe Oppenheim, um, Actually, uh, a survivor, his, he's Dutch, Jost, J-O-O-S-T, fabulous man, discovered, you know, IL-1, IL-8 in his lab, was leading this program in the biological response modifiers program. And I rarely do this. I, after he gave a seminar, I said, you know, those things just might be able to cure cancer. <laughs> and he didn't laugh. He just said, kid, hey, it's after lunch in the seminar. Why don't you come? Let's have a talk. And he said, I know this guy, Frank Rossetti, who needs a technician. I think you might just, you know, and so that started a, a, a very interesting and lifelong um, companionship um, that really goes to my first interaction with Tony Fauci, which wasn't a good one. Uh, so Your first interaction with Tony Fauci wasn't a good one. Now, this is, is this post you working on the, on AIDS and HIV or is this pre? Pre. This is pre. So uh -huh. what was your, what, 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 uh, I know when you're working with Frank, you've been working with Dr. Frank for uh, July, you said July, June 6th June is going to be 37 years, right? Correct. That's a long time, obviously. So it's somebody Correct. you trust, somebody that's a colleague that you trust uh, to be able to be in business with them for 37 years. So work, work, walk us through what happened, what events led to your interaction, the phone call you got from uh, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Uh, so I'm Frank's technician starting June 6, 1983, and the project he gave me, he gave me a couple of choices, and, and I chose the one because we were looking at otherwise healthy men, who beautiful healthy men who were getting opportunistic infections, that one of them was Kaposi sarcoma. That's a cancer, a kind that ugly cancer, that blood type things on you, that usually only old men in the southern tip of Italy get. And so it's like, why is it at UCLA? Hmm. And so we were starting to see around the world pockets of disease that made no sense, different TB, uh, thrush, um, different kind of infections that we call opportunistic infections now. We didn't at the time. So everybody was looking, and because Frank had already discovered the first retrovirus and un un understanding what he understood about how they work, we thought this could be a retrovirus. And then Luc Montagnier, Nobel laureate, called Frank one day and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to send, you know, people and have you um, to Bob Gallo's lab um, and, and our postdoc and have him isolate, help teach us how to isolate the virus. And Frank told him I wouldn't do that. <laughs> and he told him exactly why. And history did repeat itself, but we won't go there right now. So we go ahead and, and we said, we'll help you. We'll teach you. And, 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 and it, it was just the two of us. Frank wasn't allowed to have more than one technician for quite a number of years because, again, he was getting too much credit. Uh, so 
Um, we isolated the virus from the saliva and the blood of, of you know, one of the patients, from the original patients from the French Canadian. You really need to go back to the original patients in cohorts because there can be strain differences and it'll look different. So you really want that sick person. If they're not sick, you're not likely to isolate the virus or find it there. And that's really critical um, when you think about, I mentioned that we isolated it from saliva. So mm -hmm. would that mean that HIV is contagious in that way where if you share water or wine or meals or get it on the food, you can actually become infected. And that didn't turn out to be true unless you were with the sickest of patients. So yes, we isolated them there, but you wouldn't consider that virus contagious. Anyway, we isolated it and we had a paper in press. I'm a technician. Technicians don't co-author papers, not in that time. They do now, but they didn't then. So Frank was out of town at a meeting. I'm, I'm, I'm the technician. We have one office and one lab, so I answer the phone. And it's Bob Gallo I mean, and Tony Fauci. I think Tony Fauci was on the phone. And the office door is open so the, the, the rest of the students and techs can hear me. And, and I answered the phone, and, he's, and, and he said, um, you know, I understand you have a manuscript in press. Um, we um, need a copy of it. Um, and Dr. Rossetti, I said, Dr. Rossetti's out of town. Um, I'm sorry, it's confidential. It's in press. It's unethical for me to give that to you. Um, and he started literally screaming at me. Both of them were on the call. I could hear Bob Gallo's voice that I now know. Um, and they're in Bethesda. We're in, we're in Frederick. Um, and, uh, and, and he's like, give me the paper or you're fired for insubordination. Well, I just got fired a minute ago, so I'm pretty good at that. It's like it's not a problem right now because I'm starting to understand how the government works. And um, I just said, um, uh, I'm sorry. It's unethical, and I can't give it to you. I'm sure when Dr. Rossetti comes back, he'll give you a copy of the paper. Um, but this this was a problem, you see, because Bob Gallo couldn't isolate the virus. So um, when Frank came back, he bullied him into giving him a copy of the paper. They held up our paper in press, um, the, Frank's paper in press, and while Bob Gallo copied the results and came out with his own paper and said, hey, we discovered it first, and it's not your virus. We got it from other samples, not the ones that you sent. So we've got a new virus. And history really repeats itself because so, it's so clear in, in the, you know, 30 years later, literally exactly what happened to Frank Rossetti happened to me as our careers were ruined and, you know, similarly. So, and that's, that's part of the story in Plague of Corruption. So it, once we learned in 2014 what this story was all about, then we wrote the simple book. Plague of Corruption is what I now understand. It had nothing to do with science and everything to do with covering up inconvenient truths. And, and, and now I learn, I know so much more. I learn, I learn more every day. So this book started um, in literally in 2014 when I first saw Brian Hooker give a talk. And what Brian Hooker gave a talk, August 31st, um, 2014, um, and he showed a page of the notebook of William Thompson, the guy who confessed that he covered up for 20 years um, and, and committed fraud in a scientific paper that vaccines, MMR, can and does cause autism in susceptible little black boys under the age of three. 
the four time fourfold risk if little black boys are given that vaccine before the age of three. And and the note his notebook page had a taped in email to everyone on the project, which the authors of the paper, which you have to do, and it said in his handwriting, What are we gonna do about the problem with the blacks? And that who said this again? Dr. Brian, uh, Dr. Thompson, and, and, and Dr. Hooker dogged him for t- 15 years, uh, who had an injured son, and, and, and dogged him for 15 years with FOIA, Freedom of Information Act request. So that, the light bulb went on that day after, I wrote, after we wrote that incredibly scientific book, Plague, and I thought it was about science. So just like I was explaining a few minutes ago, I thought this was all about science. Mm. And the big, oh my God, is this has nothing to do with science. This is a big cover-up, and, and, and some of you know, our work had shown the same can thing. We, can we go back to, to your experience with uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci? At that time, he's 79 years old right now, so 1984, uh, uh, we're talking about uh, 30... 45, yeah. 45. Who, was he already a credible voice? Was he, was he somebody that was... As uh, you know, was he as known? Was he as powerful or not yet? Um, not yet, but he was a credible voice, but he didn't take, I don't think he got the job as the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease until, you know, the paper with, with, with HIV, because that's one of the things he said was, you know, I want to be on the Tonight Show. You know, they didn't care about millions of people dying. It's like, how are they going to position themselves? And and this was, it was horrible to watch. He said these, this. He said this? Um, yeah. And it, so Cliff Lane, Bob Gallo, and, and Tony Fauci all had their reasons for, you know, publishing second this paper for, you know, taking the credit away from Luc Montagnier and the French and making this all their own. They held up and they, and they did that. They, they held up the paper so it wouldn't get published for months. They held up a diagnostic test. They wrote the patents to themselves for the discoveries, which, um, which weren't theirs. And, and they, I mean, you can see many, many things about this um, in books like um, science fictions and things like that. You can see um, through Charles Ortlieb's new book on, on Tony Fauci, but Charles was an advocate in New York. And, and he was writing about both chronic fatigue syndrome and, and, and HIV and AIDS when we didn't know much about it. And they were accusing the government of keeping the drugs, keeping the things away from people. And they were, of course, right. So he, um, um, he basically changed, you know, let this disease spread around the world so that he could get glory, fame, and money. So, so, so at this point, uh, a- a- HIV, AIDS, uh, the number I read about right now is 32, 32 million people have died from it and 40 million uh, people in Africa have uh, HIV positive or HIV positive today. This is some data I'm seeing based on what I'm reading. So just to go back during that time, uh, a 40-year-old may not remember and even a 50-year-old may not remember, you know, if you go back to it. So you would have to be in your mid-50s to kind of remember how the news, the media, and you have to follow it to kind of know what happened. Mm-hmm. When HIV happened, if you can kind of tell us the conditions when it happened, what was the news saying? What was the media saying? How afraid were people? What kind of reactions do we have? Just think about the average person that wasn't there at that time. Was there a pandemic? Was it a shutdown? Did they shut down the government? What happened? To- Give us that point of view during that time. You're in it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm in it. In fact, it's it's directly related to me because Frank said to me, you know, Judy, are you afraid? You know, I don't want to put you, we don't know anything about this. We're isolating the virus. So all we know is healthy young men are getting all these strange diseases and, and dying. They're, they're, they're cachectic. They're thin. They're like, can't, they look like cancer patients. Their immune systems are destroyed. And, and, and then you're going to try to isolate a virus. I'm, I'm literally handling them. And what do they do to them? Don't touch them. It was just like my grandfather. Don't tell him he has cancer because we don't know how it causes. Don't touch them. Don't hug them. Think about everything we're talking about today. Stay six feet away. The, the psychological trauma to the patients, you know, don't hug them. Don't touch them. At the time I, I, I left the cancer, well, I'll, I'll just, it was that kind of thing, but it was only them. And they said, it's only them. It's their bad behavior. It's their, it's the gays, it's the IV drug users, it's prostitutes. That's God's retro, that's punishment for their behavior. So a country of Christians, um, you know, said, oh, bad people. And I, and I remember so clearly going to scientific meetings and I fell prey to the, to the culture myself. And I can say 30 years later, I'm ashamed of myself. Um, but that I went to meetings where there were protesters that blocked the scientists from going into the meeting. And they're saying scientists are murderers or what the sign says. And, and I thought to myself, I'm working 24 seven to find a cure for your bad behavior. And, 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 and you're throwing, they, they used to throw balloons full of red fluid that were condoms full of red fluids at you at a baseball stadium in a meeting in Montreal. This was maybe 1990. So, so I went to these meetings as scientists and, and I didn't realize we had all kinds of posters of treatments that would work. And we weren't the government keeping them from getting these treatments. We were, you know, we were just scientists doing our job. And I think it really shows what's going on now as the media spins something. And now we have healthy people afraid of healthy people, especially healthy children. You know, we're all wearing masks and have to stay six feet away. And the masks are injuring ourselves. So this was the culture in the, in uh, literally from 1980s through, and I didn't want a PhD. I actually left the Cancer Institute. I wasn't going to go back to graduate school. And the stories are all told in Plague of Corruption because we walked through my, my life. And, um, and I went to work at a pharmaceutical company up, John, and we were making some good drugs and doing some things. But we had to understand if the biological therapies would be contaminated if they had animal or human blood in them. And I, and I simply did the test to spike it with a lot of HIV and then ask if the, if the process, the manufacturing process, could remove six logs of infectivity. That is, if the virus was there, if even one contaminated unit of blood or whatever we were using, animal tissue, had a virus there, we could pull it out with the process. And, and what Upjohn did with me is I had to do those experiments back in Frank's lab in, in um, the National Cancer Institute because they said, we don't have HIV in Michigan. So for years, in 1987, remember, I isolated in 1983. So for years, there's no HIV. It's only those people until Arthur Ashe and Ryan White. 
until the little boy, the hemophiliac, multiply transfused until Arthur Ashe got a heart transplant and, and acquired. And this is the subject of the movie um, and the book, The Band Played On by Randy Schiltz. And, and so, you know, and that's how, how I wrote this book, how we wrote these two books was to go through what we knew. So the fact that, you know, this is what I call the God thing, that Frank and Versetti and I stayed together all these years. I left up John because my other project was to show that um, my other project was to show that bovine growth hormone, that is making GMOs, making cows make more milk by engineering the GMO bovine growth hormone. They called some called it somatostat to make more milk wouldn't hurt human cells. And my work said anything but. My work said it absolutely hurt human cells. It can drive diabetes. It can drive adipocytes to the to the explosion of obesity we see. And 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 of course, you know, GMOs do that. And and um, so um, I was told that day that my I was. I, I showed the data and I said, no, those aren't the data. They do hurt human cells. And, and my boss said, you're morally, ethically, and legally responsible to do exactly as I told you. And I had a boyfriend up there that was a Frisbee champion. So I took the notebook like a Frisbee and up the bulletin board, dropped behind him. <laughs> and the personnel manager couldn't hide his laugh because he liked me. I played on a soccer team. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that was a wow. dog. I so, could run all day. <laughs> so, so, so in essence, I mean, when I'm reading, you know, the fact when they say you save millions of people's lives. So mm -hmm. you, you guys essentially came up with a way to save people, prevent them so the average person understands from getting AIDS. That's what you right. ended up doing. Correct, by showing the exact immune response. So the T cells, only one in 10,000. So the, the personnel director said, Judy, you can't throw things at your boss. And I said, that's okay, I gotta go back home. My stepfather has aggressive prostate cancer. So I, I called Frank and I said, okay, we agreed never to say the G word in our lab. He did, I didn't say Gallo and he didn't say graduate school. And, and so I said, I have to go because his, my, he, my stepfather lost his first wife to cancer and his five children wouldn't survive if they thought their father had cancer. So I said, I got to do something. It's, it's time to go to graduate school. So I went on the hypothesis at the time in 1987, it was the T cell that was getting infected that in the immune system. Doesn't matter, they're two, let's just say, you know, the innate and the adaptive. So the T cells, we knew they were all dying. Why were they dying? You know, only one in 10,000 was infected. Somebody else had to be the shooter. Who's shooting the T cells? What is happening? It's, it's indirect, we call it damage from a distance. So, and, and we proposed the hypothesis that turned out to be my award-winning thesis because it said the macrophage, which is the innate immune response, it's your troops. They surveil all your mucosal surfaces. They go in your skin, they, in your blood, in your brain. Every, every body system has, has their troops ready to go. And they sense everything and they, and they act like little Pac-Men and they gobble them right up. Anything that comes in, you know, not just viruses, but microbes, um, toxins, environmental toxins. That's that part of your immune system. So that was the shooter. And so I showed how the virus was like a Trojan horse and it hid in the macrophage. And certain environmental toxins would wake it up. It was asleep wake it up and then it and then it infected more and more of the cells and crippled the other immune system so my thesis basically said 
You got to treat them as soon as you know there's any evidence of infection and prevent disease development. And that's what we did. So Magic Johnson was the first to do that treatment and it took quite a heroic thing. So my PhD thesis was defended on November 14th, 1991. Magic Johnson was in the newspaper November 7th in the USA Today. Um, and, and it basically said, you know, and has having come up seropositive, meaning he had an antibody to HIV. Nobody looked at the sequences. Nobody looked at whatever. He's infected because he's got an antibody. He's been exposed. And so they said, based on your thesis, at the molecular level, will he or will he not die of AIDS? And I said, if he changes everything in how he's treated, then you can see. And he was on the cover of Time Magazine. Again, we're going to just follow Time Magazine, mm -hmm. 1991. So nobody wanted, it was one thing when the deplorables were all, I, I shouldn't use that word, when, you know, when the, when the susceptible, it was your bad behavior, you know, but this is Magic Johnson. You know, this is, you know, he's strong as an ox when, when everybody can get it. That's fearful. You know, he's not gay. Um, you know, um, it, it's not, um, you, you know, he's not an IV drug user. He's a basketball player where in a routine test, he, he has to get um, tested um, for HIV. And, and we still do that to this day. Um, and, and, and they have to get certain vaccines, sports players, which, again, drive pandemic. So um, at, at any rate, so this is, um, you know, this is, so I defended my thesis. David Ho is the medical doctor in New York City. Um, he was on the cover of Time Magazine somewhere. I think he was even man of the year that year for, for just taking the treatment. You know, I, I have a PhD thesis. That's not a published document. We had two or three papers where the, where the, um, the, the old boys corrupt network said, oh, you're an idiot. Your samples are contaminated. We're, we're used to this. Um, and, and of course, my thesis committee saw otherwise when they heard the molecular description. Um, and and they, when my papers would go into press before my PhD thesis, we'd say, they'd say, I didn't believe your last paper either. I mean, that's peer review in our society. Mm -hmm. Most people just don't understand how things get into journal and how that changes the culture and how you know, what I call COVID-19 is propaganda masquerading as science because there's no science in it. Let me, let me ask you this, Dr. Judy. By the way, thank you for sharing that. That was very helpful to kind of see the uh, process of going from there to now. So at that time, Dr. Fauci's 45 when he called you with Gallo and you're on the phone with him. Uh, Frank at that time is in his early 30s. Is that a, a pretty accurate no, statement? He's, no, Frank's uh, almost his same age. Frank's, Frank's the same age as Dr. Fauci. Correct. Okay. Frank's and then how, how old are you at that time? 25. When you were, uh, uh, 25? Yeah. 25. Okay. So this has taken place. And, and for someone that doesn't know, uh, is not in that world, how big of a deal is it for Gallo and Fauci to say, no, you know, let us look at the paper. He, Frank, eventually gives it to Gallo. They rewrite it. And then they say, we came up with it first. And then they get the patent. When you say they get the patent and they can brag about it, what does this mean in your world? both respect-wise, both written about, both money-wise, economically. What does it mean when you say they got the patent and they got the credit for it? Well, it means everything because then you get things like the Lasker Award. Then you get, you know, then you get positions. Then your laboratory gets funded. Then you can do much more work. It means everything from the standpoint of, um, you know, 
everything that comes after that, you're given the credit for other people's work and you didn't participate at all. You basically stole it. Um, but it, but in the, in the world view, um, you know, the U S tends to say, Oh, the French, they don't know anything. We discovered it first. We're the U S in medicine. And, 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 you know, um, you know, taking the, you know, Luc Montagnier and Francois did the work. They recognized the patients. That's the most important thing. Find the patients. Know what you're looking at. And, and then, you know, it's our job to, to know how to grow viruses. That's what Frank did. That's what I learned to do from the time I was 25. And, and so it's everything. And, and so you don't get funding. If you don't publish in science, you Got don't it. get rewards. Got it. Money, 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 I everything. So that helps get even more funding once you can show that you have all these patents. And by the way, is that when six months later he got promoted to being the director? Is that when he got the promotion or no? Correct. That's when he got the promotion. So six months later he got the promotion. He's had it ever since. Correct. And, and what kind of power does that give Dr. Fauci? So once you are, once you become the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, what kind of influence does he have at that time? Well, at that time, given HIV AIDS, um, it's, it's the biggest thing in our country, in our world, as far as an infectious disease, because we don't really have infectious disease issues. HTLV-1, the leukemia-causing virus, was very rare in our country. It was endemic in Japan. And so quickly, we shut that down with protective measures. Don't breastfeed too long. Don't transmit through blood. There are ways to prevent the spreads of retroviruses, which weren't done in the case of HIV, and you, I mean, I will always argue, argue is because it was intended to get rid of those people um, and, 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 you know, kill a specific population, and, and there's no evidence to say that isn't what was happening, and that's what Charles Ortlieb was writing about, and the reason I wrote his name down is because I asked Frank a few weeks ago, and he said, um, yeah, I used to edit his newspaper to make sure it was scientifically correct. So, <laughs> and, and it had to do right then, and I didn't know until a couple of weeks ago, it was not just AIDS, but it was CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome. So these two always were retroviruses, and they knew it, and they literally, what was worse than being tired? What is the stigma? chronic fatigue syndrome, and Bobby wrote it really well, and it's usually women. So now here's a population, and what they wrote, and I didn't know this, and he, he did the research on his own for the forward. I never saw it, and Bobby said, went back to the newspapers, and here's women who, who, who just couldn't handle the stress of big business. Just stay out. You can't play with the old boys. You're fatigued. You're bedridden. You're lazy. You know, what is this? You know, and, and it's the bias put on a people and a stigma. This shouldn't have been the name. The name of the disease is myalgic encephalomyelitis. Sorry about that. It means inflammation of the brain and spinal cord. And, and so instead of a scientific disease, they made it, you're crazy, you're not sick, you're just lazy, and, and in a world where, where at the time, again, I'm running marathons and riding centuries on my bike, the worst thing in the world was to be lazy and tired. And so the same stigma that was put on, it was the behavior that led to the disease and not an infectious agent. So NIAID was essentially nothing then. But, but this gave, you know, the, the DTP injury, um, um, diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. 
um, was causing that vaccine was causing a great deal of injury in the late 70s and early 80s. And, and that's in the book as well. And I, and I'll, you can, maybe you'd like to have on your show, Mike Hugo, Michael R. Hugo, the attorney that <laughs> after he saw the first book, he called me up and he said, you have no idea what you stepped in. And I said, no, I have no idea. Why don't you? Step <laughs> and, and this man's a fabulous story. I had no, nowhere to go. I'm, I'm literally um, on house arrest and for five years, I can't talk to anybody. So anyway, so that the, the, now the National Institute of Allergy infectious disease is is essentially next to the national cancer institute everything you know he really controls nih yes he um collins francis collins the head of the nih is tony fauci's puppet and i'm sorry that i have you know there's there's a lot of data to suggest that he's a good man he's not an evil man he can't conceive of some of this he's directing and you know in in, uh, in september or in september when i gave the talk and he asked the question september 6th of 2010 about this other mouse family of mouse viruses jumping into humans um uh, Francis Collins said, "Where did you get the, where did you get the um, controls? Where did you get your healthy controls?" And I said, "The blood supply of London." So we've got four percent in the blood supply of London. Again, this is this is twenty five times HIV, which was never more in our blood supply, never approaching even one percent, and even less. We don't even test for HTLV, or at least we hadn't for the last few years. So these things don't end up in the blood supply because our immune systems can really do handle it as long as you educate the immune system to do that. And it's never been with a vaccine, despite trillions of dollars that Tony Fauci's been paid to develop vaccines for these viruses. That's under his control. That's under his control. The entire vaccine program, which started in 1999, under his control. So, so let me ask you, going back to it during the AIDS, just out of curiosity, was there ever a shutdown when that pandemic took place? Did U.S. ever shut down the way we are shut down today? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely no. not. So no, everything was business no. as usual. So for it's, somebody like you watching this from then working with Dr. Anthony Fauci, you know, where you have some kind of a relationship going back and forth with them and seeing him get promoted to the director, then now seeing the recommendation with shutting down all of it, what are you thinking seeing these two things taking place? Well, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly angry um, because it, it has no basis in science. And even more important than in 1983 and 84, we only thought certain behaviors caused this. But again, in, in, 19, in 2011, with our paper on the new family of these contagious, contagious cancer-causing viruses, and they didn't do anything to give safety. They, they actually downgraded it to biosafety level two. We didn't wear a mask ever in my laboratory for HIV. You don't wear a mask because you don't touch your face. Never wore a mask with all 30 years of research. And here we have cancer-causing mouse viruses, which were called biosafety level two, meaning you, don't, you only have to wear gloves. You don't have to wear a mask. And, and we, our colleagues, we're getting infected and getting sick in 2011, clear from the air. I seroconverted. I got sick, clear from the air. I got infected. I'm not sick yet because I know how to fix this, right? We got that, um, ten, you know, 10 years ago. So you're infecting the lab workers. 
You're infecting the first responders. You're infecting the, um, the military because you're forcing the injection on them. Lab workers were encouraged to get vaccines. And of course, we're thinking, well, yeah, we don't want to catch that. So in the case of, of, of back with HIV, Frank, when the, when the hepatitis B vaccine became available, and this is the book, again, the book and the movie the band played on, they thought hepatitis B was, was a cofactor driving the disease, you know, along with other infectious agents. Um, and, and, um, and, and so they encouraged everyone in, in the laboratory working with patients to get the vaccine. Um, but they, they mandated the deplorables, the, 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 the original susceptible, sorry, I'll stop using that term. They mandated the original susceptible population. Um, and, and that's only my disgust. I mean, I, I'm, right now I'm angry and I'm disgusted because, you know, when you, didn't, when you did nothing to stop women who are already infected, lab workers who are already infected with this agent in 2009, in, in chapter eight of our original book was an invitation only meeting with the highest levels of the government, the FDA, the CDC, you know, and there's one person curiously absent and that was Tony Fauci because he's known for 30 years and we haven't that he shut down the idea that, um, that, uh, a chronic fatigue syndrome is an infectious disease, despite the fact that I wasn't the first woman whose career was destroyed because she isolated and identified a virus associated, a similar virus associated um, with chronic fatigue syndrome. So for 30 years, this man's been destroying the careers of women and scientists, and he stays in the background, like I call it the Wizard of Oz. He's behind the screen, and he's the little man, the little puppet, and people are all dancing to him because he controls the money. He controls the journals. Well, Francis Collins was, when he heard, when I said the blood supply, he, everybody knows what happened and how HIV spread around the world and to the innocent victims like, like Arthur Ashe and Ryan White and, and, and even Magic Johnson. You know, um, it was put on his bad behavior. That's a cultural thing. Um, but, you know, the vaccine, um, again, the vaccines were made in human plasma at the time, and, and, and nobody had identified the, the, uh, the viruses we did. A si similar thing, even though Charles Ortlieb is working on AIDS, and the woman's disease is called chronic fatigue syndrome, equally, derog equally derogatory, and, and here you are. So, so I'm angry right now because the mitigation steps, the prevention, the educate the immune system, every single thing that comes out of his mouth is to drive towards his patents. And, and, and literally, um, you know, it, we have spent, you know, at least 20 years and all the data, you know, these vaccines in these viruses, not only the AIDS and the, and the CFS um, infectious agents, but the coronaviruses. We've tried since SARS, the severe acute re um, respiratory virus number one. This one is called severe acute respiratory coronavirus number two. Um, and, and the MERS, the Middle East Respiratory um, uh, Syndrome virus, those two, the vaccine development's been going for 20 years. And every piece of data says that if you give the vaccine, um, you actually drive the disease um, and, and the next infection could kill them. 
So it's, it's there are terms called viral interference and other things. We don't not need to talk about it, but the data is clear. The vaccine, they're driving the disease and killing the people, especially when they, you know, unwittingly see the vaccine, uh, uh, see the virus again. So that, so that all of that knowledge has been there. The flu vaccine's driving the pandemic that we are here. And there's three or four publications over the last 10 years. We know that driving the, I call it the evolution. You know, it's not a natural evolution for a virus to go from a bat to a human because it kills all the human cells. And I, in 1999 and 97 through 99, and as part of my postdoctoral studies, I was working in that Fort Detrick biosafety level four facility. It's called USAMRID, U.S. Army Research Institute of Infectious Disease. It's a military post. It's, it, that was a biowarfare Division, mm. Fort Detrick. The pictures are in the middle of the second book. You know, the Cancer Institute and the Biowarfare are right next to each other across a baseball field. Um, so, again, I went over there to work with Ebola, and my job was to understand why certain strains of Ebola um, killed human cells and others didn't. And so what you get is that landscape, that, that, that um, signature of disease, because it's the immune system that overreacts. It's the immune system that overreacts to the injection of the RNA or the nucleic acid. The vaccine is an injection. So we, you know, but we've, we've come to really bastardize the, the definition of vaccine developing immunity when in fact they don't. How, how much of you talking about this kind of stuff is what got you in trouble? of you getting arrested. What, what led to your arrest the first time? What caused that? I never talked about this stuff. I had no idea until that day I met Brian Hooker and saw his notebook. And then I understood the whole thing. I didn't work in vaccines. I mean, I worked in immune therapy, which is a type of vaccine, but it wasn't for in that it wouldn't be called a vaccine. It would be called immune therapy for cancer. That's what we did and, and AIDS. Um, so what got me in trouble and got me arrested and, and got me hunted down is when our work in, in when I presented to the New York Academy of Sciences, March 29, uh, 2011, when I presented our work that said the blood supply was, you know, at least 10 times more heavily contaminated with, um, you know, this, this family of viruses than in the HIV days. I, I refused um, to cover up the data and say I'd made a, a mistake that the blood supply wasn't contaminated because the country could not afford that. HIV has practically bankrupted the world. Look at how many, as we've talked about. Um, and, um, and it didn't have to either because, of course, we can, we can treat that. But, again, we're always driving toward the we're going to cure it. We've got a disease. Well, we already cured it in 1991. But, see, this isn't the way science is spun. And, and we, you, you, know, you know, President Trump, every administration. So, so it's not a it's, – it's not a, a – it's a bipartisan problem because one man's been standing next to every president predicting these pandemics from swine flu to bird flu and, and uh, H1N1, uh, Zika, Ebola of 2014. And there's no question the viruses kill people, a susceptible population, but the answer is never and won't be a vaccine. So why are we locking down the world and putting people in masks, and, and which injures yourself? It immune suppresses you, especially if you get a vaccine, because now you're inhaling that virus and amplifying it over and over and over again, and you could die from that vaccine and wearing a mask alone.
I got this article here. I got this article here, November 22nd, 2011 from Chicago Tri Tribune reporter. I think it's important for the audience to kind of see this because all of this is bringing the amount of influence, whether it's big pharma, whether it's control, whether it's vaccination, whatever it may be, depopulation, reducing population growth. All of this is kind of coming together. And this was written all over the place. This is just one of the articles I took out. You can see uh, several different links. Two years, this is November 22nd, 2011. Title says, Discredited Chronic Fatigue Research in California Jail. Okay. Two years <laughs> ago, researcher Judy Mikovits was riding uh, atop a wave of promise. She had published one of the most uh, discussed papers of the year in one of the most prestigious scientific publications in the world. Her team's findings were hailed as potential breakthrough for an endless chronic fatigue syndrome that had long frustrated researchers. She was invited to speak at a scientific conferences around the globe, adoring patients, crowded her at her talks. I mean, it talks about what you did. And then you said, this is a proud moment because I've had people calling me from Dubai, China, you name it, they're contacting me. So this is at the top of, would you say this was at the top of your career at this time, right before this event taking place, like middle of 2011? Yeah. It was. And then, and then this happens. What led to this event? I'm curious to know what led to this event. Uh, well, as the data from that March 29th talk went on, as, as our colleague, and I won't name him, reported that the biologicals that were likely transmitting these viruses were vaccines, as the studies from other people, myself, my team, showed the link to autism, as, the, um, as the, uh, the, it appeared ITP, which is a blood disease that's associated with MMR, that's a, it's listed as a side effect of some people with MMR, as the cancers and the disease associations and the realization of, of how many strains of these viruses, we can't even tell you how many have entered humans, um, it should have said everything needs to stop. We've got a tremendous problem. And um, so what led up to that is we were um, you know, we were we were told to we were encouraged to retract our findings and 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 not discuss the blood supply being contaminated, but to to publish studies that were called failure to confirm, just like other investigators were literally, I call it commission fraud, because they were paid, they were given grants from NIAID and other places, they would otherwise not um, get grants, they were publishing papers in that same journal science that were actually um, um, violation of things like our human subjects review boards and things like that. Um, they were they were invited to publish really quickly um, by the CDC by other people to to cover up the data and and I just simply would not fold um, these patients. You know and and I wrote a I wrote an email August thirty first of two thousand eleven to the head of the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, her name's mm -hmm. Simone Glenn, and, um, and I copied Frank Rossetti. And I wrote the email and said, uh-uh, I'm not covering it up. That's not an association study. That paper's not coming out that way, that you will not rush to publish this. And, and basically said, you know, I'll write a dissenting opinion if I have to. You can publish whatever you want, but Frank Rossetti and I don't won't won't sign our names to this because this is fraud and um 
And three days later, I get a phone call, say, and, and it's Simone Glenn on one line and Michael Bush the, in San Francisco, the head of the Blood Systems Research Institute. And you can follow the people on the papers, um, the authors. You can, he was the senior author on that paper. Um, and it was very clear the blood supply was heavily contaminated. And we didn't have a good diagnostic test because we had too many strains, strains of viruses. So you can't do a PCR, you can't do a serology test because it's a conformational epitope. That means shape, not a sequence. So the test that Abbott has is a sequence and that's null and void. It's never found a positive anywhere. So they lose their patents. They lose their money. They lose the investigators. The other investigators are going to lose their careers, their lives. They're not going to be funded anymore. They, they, and they know that. And, and every person on the paper essentially, um, you know, has been paid since that time in grants they didn't earn. All of mine were taken away from me. Um, and, and I was told on that, that Labor Day um, Monday that if that paper weren't ready to come out, uh, in time for the IACFS meeting, the International Association of CFS. It was held in Ottawa, Canada that year, and I'm supposed to debate John Coffin on, on, on the association on, on, of this virus family, um, and, and he's purporting his, you know, recombination theory never happened, never will again. That's the chapter of the first book called The Immaculate Recombination. And, and I could tell you why we called it that, but at any rate, because uh, it never happened the first time. It was pure fraud. And, and some investigators caught him in changing the sequences in the gene bank or encouraging that the sequences be changed. We made a little mistake when we sequenced the virus in order to put together this. At any rate, so the, uh, now, I mean, this this is another paper I have here. So Science the Journal, you can see there it says false positive. So my bosses own a company, the, the, the heads of the institutes own a company that's been doing a diagnostic test. They don't have anything to do with my research program or the institute. They're on their own doing a diagnostic test that the that Michael Bush um, wrote in emails and, and was unvalidated that had not done enough negative controls. And so here the day the day before that meeting or up after that meeting or before is false positive. So if you sell a test to Medicare and it's not validated and you do tell a patient they have a virus they don't have, um, that's um, a federal crime. Uh, okay, and, and a lot of other crimes. So um, the fact of the matter is the tests weren't false positive. So, um, and uh, again, I, I'm told on the phone on, on August 31st, if I don't say in that same meeting um, that I made a mistake and there's no viruses and I'm, I'm wrong and we can all go home now and I'll, I, I, I literally, the apology as I'm being held in jail. On November 22nd, when the article you read came out, I'm held in a Ventura jail for five days without an arrest restaurant I'm taken from my home they come in they try to they try to find you know literally create a crime there's I you know they fabricate a mugshot and science the journal finds all of this the man named John Cohen he follows all of this he's not he's not part of a scientific journalist he works for the op-ed part of the magazine so he's just propaganda he's just editorializing or propaganda and um and so at that time, in, in back, back all the way 
in on June 2nd when two negative papers that were commissioned fraud came out um, um, in Science, the journal, uh, you know, the, the, the journal editor said, okay, I've seen enough. I'm concerned. Um, the author should retract the paper. And we wrote, um, Dr. Rossetti and I wrote a detailed letter um, um, and, and showed it to every investigator on the paper of all the scientific data that said the only thing that was wrong with the, with the paper was figure one, which belonged to Bob Silverman and the PCR test not detecting the viruses, not, in fact, it was false negative. And so, and he held the patent and Abbott's paying his laboratory there in, in Cleveland. And, um, and, and, and so again, Everybody has a conflict of interest but us. So um, I, they, the journal agreed we won't retract. Um, we'll only partial retract. So as I'm held in jail, the journal says we have no choice but to force the retraction of the paper. So the arrest, the, the you know, it scare you. It's get you to kill yourself. And, and they hunted me down and, 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 and um, on more than one occasion um, tried to kill me. So the time you mentioned, the four days, it was actually, yeah, five days I, I hid on a boat because I lived in Oxnard in the Channel Islands Harbor and we had a boat dock home with a couple of boats. And at four in the morning, our house is surrounded. That chapter in the book is called Scientists at Sea. And, and we go into great detail of what happened that day with my husband. And I was on my way to a job interview. I'd already been fired six weeks earlier. And with all the grants I had and the ability to study this big discovery, and, and there were drug developers who were saying, hey, we don't have a problem that you don't have a diagnostic test. We see your data. We believe the data, just like the editors of Science said all that summer. So the only answer somebody had was to, you know, carry out the threats, and I gave the talk I wasn't supposed to give. I was fired within a week of that talk as I stood on the sidewalk. I never went back there. My entire laboratory was, um, was locked out automatically, and they literally set up a crime. Watergate style, let's make it look like she went crazy, went in there, took the notebooks, took the stuff, she made it all up for her greater glory, and you know, what you just read there, and I don't care about that stuff, and um, and, 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 and it just, and, and uh, again, but my postdoc, well, my student, um, was, was angry and he said judy you don't understand and i'm i'm pollyanna i trust everybody and i said oh she's just angry because of this false positive thing it'll blow over it's not an issue blah 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 and and so she called me and they it was clear they were um they were attempting to to cover up their misappropriation of federal funds so it, you know there's a little quid pro quo going on there there um the government sitting there saying you'll keep your grants You'll keep the money, you'll keep your institutes, you won't go to jail if you make sure nobody ever sees that data. Because what did my notebook say? They were like William Thompson's. What are we going to do about this was the names, these were the people, these were the true infected, these, this was the depth and breadth of the infection that had spread unchecked for since the early 80s. That came happened right at the same time as HIV. Now here we have two viruses and one susceptible population gets one and the other gets lifelong diseases um, like AIDS. So that, you know, so the jailing and the arrest, you know, uh, science, the journal said we've lost confidence. 
And, um, and that blood working group paper that was entitled Failure to Confirm, that wasn't a con- failure to confirm paper, was published November 11th. So I was hiding on the boat between November 9th and November 14th when I came off the boat because my husband found a lawyer through our church who said, oh, that's not a problem. And, you know, and the lawyer was for wrongful termination and retaliation and RICO, it's called KETAM, for me whistleblowing on, on the situation. So that, I mean, that case never made it to court. It was held under seal for five years years. And you know when it was under seal means you can't even say you have a case. You can't get a lawyer because the government's considering going in on a whistleblowing case. And if the government comes in, then they take everything and then they do, they Mm. use the DOJ and they use everything. And we've talked to the FBI literally since we, since I got out of jail. And I hired a lawyer when I'm literally, you know, I've just, my career's over. I've hired a lawyer to, um, to defend me from the FBI because the FBI turns it around on you and says, it's your fault. You did that. And I'm, I just know that because I grew up in Washington, D.C., and that's all discussed in the book. So, um, Who was I the just, director of FBI at that time? Was it, uh, was it Comey or was it uh, in 11? Was it Director Comey? I have no idea. I think it was because, yeah, he, because he just lost his, what, 15 year career retirement. And see, that's what they've threatened Frank Rossetti of. We'll fire you before the end of the fiscal year for fraud in your original science paper. And and you and your wife will lose your 75 years combined retirement. And I said, Frank, I'm already under the bus. Roll over me. And, 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 um, but, but he kept his promise because, um, you know, he's taken care of me since and funded our, and so that we could continue. And that's the last chapter of the book. So Frank Rossetti's an honest man and a scientist with integrity as well, um, who, who taught me and, and he, he refused the same order that William Thompson has, which is throw away the data, burn it, burn all the samples so you can never track um, what this plague of corruption. And that was, that was, again, November of 2011. So I'm held in jail and you can follow the science articles from John Cohen and Martin Enserink. They said, oh, we're not part of the scientific stuff. We're the op-eds. We're, we just write. We're freelance writers and we don't, we don't belong to the journal. And and they wrote 22 articles, Beleaguered Institute Keeps Grants. Oh, okay. You know, they just got paid. Same thing with Bob Silverman. He got paid. His paper was retracted. They apologized to him because his honest mistake was, you know, when it's, when it's withdrawn, it's considered an honest mistake. When it's con- retracted, it's, con- it's considered fraud. It was retracted. It wasn't an honest mistake. He took the bait. He took the buy-off and the payoff and, and let this, and let Judy Mikevitz and Frank said he take the uh, uh, you know take it and so again they're just you know that's what that story's all that, about that's intense now now that but by, by the way 2011 is very different than what happened in 04 when you were forced to file bankruptcy with the whole perfect score 10 million dollars three houses boats and everything you had right that's 2014 2014 so that's 2011 then you have right. 2014 now 2014 and 2011 do either one of them have anything to do with Dr. Anthony Fauci, any influence with him at all? Well, yes, both of them. Because in what, it, it, in what way? 
Tony Fauci is NIAID. They funded our $5 million of grants. So again, they forget, they, you know, they, they, in November, uh, I think it was November 15th of 2011, Tony Fauci sends his grants administrators, and one of them's names was Kathy Laughlin, and they sent them to the Institute days before I was arrested while they were, you know, I was hiding. Um, and, and, and he says, and, and, and he goes there to make sure all the records are in order. We have everything. Okay, you keep your grants if everything's in order. So he sent, you know, his grants administrators to the, to the Institute and checked the box saying it was all in order. Um, because at the time, they, they had no idea Max caught them in the act of the, of the burglary on September 29th, the day before the end of the fiscal year. So we were going to rewrite history, much like William Thompson. Take those notebooks, write it in other things. We didn't do anything wrong. Here's the research. We didn't misappropriate funds. And so Anthony Fauci sends his grants administrators. He's the boss. You follow the money. He came in. He says, it's all in order. It's all there. And all of a sudden, the big, oh, my God, when they filed this civil lawsuit to me on November 4th, they, they had already filed a civil lawsuit saying that I stole their intellectual property. And I, I, uh, one of the patients was a lawyer, and, she, and I needed to, to reply and, and send the letter in before a certain time the next day. And I literally, I, she was a lawyer. She wrote it in legal terms. She filed it, and she proved I could not possibly have done what they said I did. And I, I'm sure that was probably one of the funnier days in my life. The collective, oh, you know, we, oh, no, where are, where's the data? Where's the data? Where's the information? We thought we set up the perfect crime. And, and so that, 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 and then when they couldn't find it, you know, when they did their, their fake warrant, they, um, they came to my house and they came to the house of the person not far away who faxed it for me because I didn't have a fax machine. There were no computers in my house. There was no notebook. So, so even with this fake arrest, they, they ransacked our house, looked at everything, went to our friend's house, pushed her in a chair, held her there, couldn't find it at all. And, and so, you know, um, you, know, they, you know, they held me in jail until they could plant the evidence extorted my then 73-year-old husband. You find it or she never goes home. You find it. We've held, they've held me there without a charge, without a lawyer, without anything for five days, trying to Epstein me. You mentioned this, trying to Epstein me, trying to get me to kill myself. You know, you're, you're there trying to figure out what the hell's going on, and it's not a pleasant situation. Um, and um, and my husband, he can't talk to me. He talks to me once. And, and, and you can see through both books how they set this whole thing up. And all I had to do, they had a bail hold. I couldn't even post bail, which was $100,000. I'm not a murderer. I'm not, I don't have $100,000. And the bail bondsman in the first book said, I did this case on a, on a signature because I knew how full of shit it was. I knew innocent people have no idea. They think our system works. They think they have due process. They think they think, and that's exactly what I said. What did Tony Fauci do? Oh, he told, you know, he put a, a warrant out at the NIH. If I step foot on NIH property, I'm a fugitive from justice. 
That was still at Fort Detrick, November 15, 2016, when I went there. So, yes, where was Tony Fauci? He was the puppet master. He was directing the money. He was directing Ian Lipkin to do the now multi-center study because they have a little problem with the blood working group. It's only 16 people. That's not a failure to confirm. That's fraud. And every one of those people should have been finished in their careers. On that paper, in, um, it, it actually published November 11th, and I didn't know that till two days ago. I thought it published on September 29th when I was, when I was September 22nd, when I was standing there giving the talk about the paper. So I could see how they carried out that threat from that phone call of September um, 4th, 2011, from my email of August 31st. So I have a paper trail because I was told once, never put anything in the body of an email, put it in an attachment because that's not discoverable. Mm. So, but my training from growing up in Washington, D.C. <laughs> was the minute he told me that, I asked myself why, and I put everything in the body of an email. So part of what they had to have was all my emails, all my computers, because Tony Fauci wrote the emails. I couldn't fly over NIH airspace. Really? You know, what am I doing? Sprinkling virus over the over Frederick, Maryland to visit my mother on her on her 75th birthday. You know, really? So so what what is the difference between 2011 and 2014 event? 2014 ah, the event is So 2014, I haven't given up. I'm forced into bankruptcy. Why? So September, so the criminal charges are dropped um, in the middle of June um, after I proved my innocence on March 12th. The only time I ever talked to a criminal lawyer, I walked through every page of the notebooks and showed exactly the story I'm telling you um, and proved that the perpetrators of the, you know, the, the crimes were, you know, these people I'm mentioning. So at any rate, um, uh, I, the charges don't get dropped. Um, the, 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 uh, the, my lawyer is made into a judge and removed from my case. Um, the judge is proven to have been bought and paid for by the head of our institute. Um, and, um, and then um, he's actually convicted of campaign fraud for Harry Reid. And, and sentenced to something right, you know, right in um, June of 2012. The charges are dropped without prejudice. And, and what I'm told is the next time they will kill you. And I'm told that I'm not allowed to do Facebook. I'm not allowed to say a word. I'm not allowed to do any kind of social media or talk to anyone um, until the statute of limitations is up. And so then they're bringing their civil case to a damages hearing that was supposed to be September 4th of, of 2012. And I go with my bankruptcy lawyer and my, um, I actually go with my civil lawyer, who I name in the book, and my criminal lawyer and a bankruptcy lawyer, the same person, David J. Folan here in Ventura. So we went into the office with my husband, and, um, and, and the, my civil lawyer says, you know, I said, okay, I'm ready with my 97 witnesses, which included Tony Fauci, 97 witnesses, the highest level of the government to prove 
Not only did I not do what you said I did, I did nothing ethically wrong, and this was all a big cover-up on this. And my lawyer, the civil lawyer, said, I won't go. And, and I said, you know, and, and he said, do you think if you, if you go and you testify against your employers, these powerful people who, you know, literally bought Harry Reid more than one office um, and in the Senate, I don't think he was ever legally elected. Um, at any rate, um, scary thought. Um, at any rate, um, it happened long before I met them in, in, in the five years and, and it probably will go on forever. Um, but at any rate, um, they, um, uh, he said, if you go there, and you, get, you present and you testify and you show everything we know to be true, the minute you step on the courthouse steps, you will be arrested because they will have found, no, they will have found new evidence and, um, and, 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 and you'll be jailed in Nevada and you'll never get out. And I said, oh, that's ridiculous. There is no new evidence. And he looked at me and said, there was no evidence the first time was there. And it's the... And, and I still do it to this day. The only time I cried, the only time I cried. And, I, and, and he said, if you file bankruptcy right now before that hearing, then your, your, the charges, the, the civil case is stayed. So it never goes to a damages part. And, and, and your bankruptcy will simply say you lost your grants. It won't say you did anything wrong. There's no any kind of anything against you ever. And you can go out and live your life. And, um, uh, and, and it was, I did not want to do it. And, um, you know, and, and then, you know, these powerful people literally committed fraud in bankruptcy court and, 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 and said, uh, I owed $15 million and I'd committed intellectual property theft and I'd admitted to it. And they used science, the journal and the other newspapers, and they literally fabricated everything as if I turned myself in, I didn't turn myself in. When I was let out of jail, they said, you, you go to Nevada and you get a criminal lawyer or you're going right back to day, jail and you'll never see David again. And you come up with all of those computers and you come up with all those notebooks. And they told David the night before I was let go, the night before Thanksgiving, you don't come up with the notebooks and you'll never see her again. And they conveniently planted them in a linen beach bag in, in an open closet. You know, it's, it was, my house was under construction. We were redoing the master bedroom and there was no closet door. Every other piece of paper was, was strewn across the house. And here's a, a beach bag with my initials on it, stacked to the top with the folders that were in those two desk drawers. Not two offices, not 30 years. You know, it was planted there. And, and again, Michael Hugo proved that in the very little time he had to do discovery. They watched my house. They hunted me down between September and whatever time in November. And, um, and they just fabricated these crimes in, other to, in order to shut me down forever. So I'm full on bankrupt. It said I owed $15 million. When you commit intellectual property theft, you'll never work again, not even even at Starbucks, um, you know, because you'll steal the money. So the director, everything I'd ever had, you know, was lost. And, um, and worse, um, you know, right after that, you know, they published the fraud that was the multi-center study with Ian Lipkin as the last author that Tony Fauci stopped 
when against all odds, I'm going through all this in the summer, I'm doing retrovirology by telephone, Frank's not even good enough with a camera to take the picture of the microscope and show me on a computer, we're biologists, and, and, and I said, that's what you're looking for, and he's like, this one, and I said, that's what you're looking for, that's what you're looking for, and, and so, and then we would have gotten them positive, and Fauci stepped in and said, it's contamination. It's all contamination. We're stopping the wasting of government money now as if these patients didn't deserve the entire study to be finished. And then he told Frank um, and, and that um, they'd use all the cohorts equally. So it was pretty clear that because they'd done thousands of samples, it was now contamination. Harold Varmus committed fraud because he added the synthetic infectious molecular clone. So he, that changed the study design because we couldn't do our isolation because the molecular clone grows so much faster, like a hundred times faster than the natural isolate. So we couldn't afford the contamination. So we didn't do that part of the study. And against all odds, it was still positive. He published, they published the paper in September, October of 2012. As I'm going through this, <laughs> this, this, you know, this bankruptcy stuff forced into it. Um, and, uh, you know, not even knowing what's going on because I can't, I can't read a paper. I can't get on the internet. I can't do anything. I have only what Frank Rossetti tells me. Uh, they apply the statistics. They publish this paper. Our names are on it because, you know, I don't have a choice. They, I'm being told everybody knows there. I was told three times by Ian Lipkin and so was Frank Rossetti and Tony Fauci that everybody knew there were other of these family of viruses in these people, just not that virus in the patients, just not that sequence. You could only look for that sequence because that's what you said. No, that's not what we said. That's what Bob, so it was, it's this kind of wrangling. And then I said they had a super secret conference call on um, when the study was unblinded. So you've done like a thousand in each center. You know, we test from each clinical sample and, the, and Harvey Alter and Shai Xing Lo, they do their test and we do our test. So that when it's unblinded, it's super secret. There are only three men on the phone, Harold Varmus, um, Francis Collins and Tony Fauci. And they're on the phone and they say, there's no association. And I'm sitting in my car in front of LAX. And it's another time when I'm almost crying. And, and, I, and I said, that's okay. There's still 6% in the controls. There was 6% in the patients. There was 6% in the controls. And, 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 and I said, that's okay. That's still 25 million Americans who we can prevent from ever getting disease. So what did the paper say at the end of the abstract? There was no evidence of infection. And clearly table three of that paper shows evidence of infection. So, you know, it was the end of my career. Never heard from Ian Lipkin again, who had promised me a job within weeks to, uh, Tony Fauci awards him $34 million to create a center for discovery and diagnostics. And who did he fund with that money a few years ago? Oh, the North Carolina group working with the Wuhan Chinese, looking at coronaviruses as they've done the last 10 years. So Tony Fauci funded the coronavirus studies with Wuhan, with North Carolina, with Switzerland and Harvard. It's right there in the paper. The cell lines they grew the virus came from Fort Detrick. We know those have HIV in them and God only knows what else. Um, 
Oh, yeah, that one makes me sick. <laughs> Dr. Judy, question for you. What is the yeah. motive behind this? Is it money? Is it big pharma? Is it power? What is it? I mean, what is the real motive behind it? Well, the, the real motive behind um, it, it's it's all of those things up until 2011. And now you've committed crimes against humanity. You know, this is treason. This is, this is, um, you know, this is, um, this is prison. This is, this is worse than that. This is cover up. The motive is cover it up. So what are we doing in COVID? Oh, we're burying them without, without um, any evidence of coronavirus. What if it's XMRV plus coronavirus? That's what all the clinical data suggests. Because, oh, they have the exact same things. They have the coagulopathies. They have the bleeding disorders. You know, coronaviruses don't cause bleeding disorders. Coronaviruses don't cause heart attacks and postural orthostatic tachycardia. Retroviruses do. These viruses do. You know, um, the motive, cover up. I mean, it's trillions. And, and, and then force everybody to get the vaccines so they can say you had it all along. Kill them. You're, you're going to kill the people with these viruses. You're going to kill me. You're going to kill my husband. And you're going to bury us and call it COVID if we get a vaccine because we're the ones that, that will respond because we've already been infected with that flame that's so high that it can drive an almost instant heart attack, cardiac arrest, or drive our, uh, the Alzheimer's disease, the, the autism. ME is, um, is a very serious disease um, where your brain and your muscles can't function. You just literally die. These with, with the mito it's a mitochondrial disease. These are the people who will die because they're carrying the infection. That's that 25 million in 2011. It's almost 100 million now because we've ramped up the, the vaccine program. We cleaned up the blood supply because I told them how. So the motive is so much more than money. The, mo the motive is, is, is cover up and kill the victims and make sure nobody ever exhumes them and sees that there really was no evidence of, of that infection in their death. But look what else was here. And, and, and that's the worst thing about this disease. What make them wear masks? I wear a mask, I will die. I will activate my latent viruses, my sleeping viruses, and I will drive the patholo pathology in myself. I stress out. I'm afraid. How do I make any money? It doesn't matter. I haven't made, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that stimulus. I made $2,000 in a, in a month in, in 10 years or so. That would be kind of cool. Um, but at any rate, I mean, <laughs> I didn't see it in my checking account, but anyway, I don't expect to either. Uh, but so, you know, the, you know, the, these people, the, the people who are most at risk, the last thing they can do is wear a mask. The last thing they can do is stay out of the sunshine. The last thing, because you're going to activate internally and you're going to suppress your immune system and you're going to replicate. You're going to cause that fire to go out of control because you woke up all those sleeping viruses. And, and, that's, and, and that's, what's, that's what the clinical data support. Most of our patients will use the term air hunger. So using the ventilators is killing people because you have to paralyze them and, and, you know, in order to put that through the, with fentanyl and other drugs, in order to put that ventilator down their throat, um, when they're desaturating their oxygen, their, their, their 
iron is leaving and, and going into the blood. And that adds to the flame. That adds to the signature of disease. We, we publish the signature of disease. The signature of disease of chronic fatigue syndrome associated, let's just call it XMRV, that virus, that paper we published in, in the spring of 2011 is exactly the one they're calling COVID signature of disease. So what are we really looking at? I think it's the biggest cover-up, and they and and honestly, because of what the last chapter of this book says, got to do something. We got all the data, folks. You didn't succeed at getting the data. You didn't succeed at getting the samples. Every one of them goes to jail when when we give you know, and and that's the point about 2014. I I forgot the um, I forgot the. Uh, the dead man's trigger on the book because that would mean uh, Dr. Frank and I would be killed. What's the dead man's trigger on the book? When Frank was forced into retirement in May of 2014, he brought all of the samples and I mean, he brought all of the paper to my office. Uh, I mean, to my house in my apartment in Carlsbad in the big recycling bin. They told him to throw it away. And, um, you know, he threw it in the recycling bin and he was watched by an armed guard in, in Fort Detrick when he's leaving there. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the armed guard left at five o'clock and Frank never left at five o'clock and he just simply put it in the wrong place. So he knocked on my door in May of 2014 and said, I don't know how this shit got in my moving van. I took one look at that recyclable bin and I could see every paper I could see because uh, investigators have to keep a copy of your records of everybody on the project. They took all of mine and they told Frank to William Thompson style destroy the data as they had done all the way back then but Frank knew it was a federal offense so I spent the next three days scanning every bit of it into hard drives and 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 then I made an appointment with David Folan and we called the FBI and we handed them that hard drive and I have the receipt for it we taped every word of the conversation in 2014 I had a lawsuit I had a lawsuit that was under seal. The government hasn't decided whether they're going to pick up this whistleblower, Ketam, Rico, racketeering and conspiracy case. And, and that, you know, uh, again, under seal until October of, of 2019 when I gave exactly this talk in, in 20 quick slides and showed the association with Tony Fauci and all, everything I've just told you today. With the Monday after I gave that Friday talk, the case was dismissed with prejudice, meaning you can't come back again. You made it all up for the greater glory of whatever it is in your book. So this, you know, this this was the explosive talk that 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 really changed everything because people saw it. Your your uh, your uh, extensive research with vaccines and everything that you've done. And you're seeing a lot of people, you know, my family have those that are absolutely anti-vaccine. I have those who are pro-vaccine. I was in the military. So, you know, when you join the military, they give you all these shots, 11 shots on day one because you're military property. Right. And we have those that are in the middle, you know, uh, and you see the stories about vaccine being linked to autism and, and the business aspect of it behind it. Can you go into that a little bit when you talk about it in the book with the money part of what, uh, how much autism makes 
and how much it costs for a kid from the moment they have it to 18 years old. Yeah, yeah, it costs literally millions of dollars to take care of them. It had, you know, each, and that would be the cost on the government because they unwittingly caused it, if you will, because it was unwitting until really recent, recent events as we see more and more research on how these things can happen. And that was the benefit of us working in vaccine court. Well, in vaccine court, all they have to pay per case of, say, SIDS death or the, the damage of Gardasil or, or even autism is 250000 So when you kill somebody, a life is $250,000, um, but the cost of taking care of some of these severely injured kids would be in the tens of millions. They need, they need round-the-clock caretakers, you know, because they, they, they escape, they run, they hurt, they don't know what they're doing. They have superhuman strength. It, it, the, the biology of it is simply uh, astounding. Um, and, um, and that's, that would break the bank. So it's not just autism, but the ITP. So that's a, that's a fatal blood disease. So ITP is, is a fatal blood disease, a bleeding disorder. And we're even seeing, as I mentioned, ITP and other blood diseases uh, uh, attributed to COVID. So, you know, the money is in the trillions and, and I can't even estimate that because, but, but again, in just vaccine court alone, there was fraud committed in the 3000 or so it's called the ombudsman case. And we, we went through it in great detail in the book, my Hugo, um, giving a couple uh, chapter for that book. It's called My Stolen Identity. And so how these courts um, literally um, kept the case that would have proved these 3,000 cases back 15 or 20 years ago, um, that, that if one case, so they do five test cases, and if one case turns out that the vaccine did cause the autism in that child, all, everybody gets paid off. Everybody gets paid. That then would have broken the program and ended the vaccine mm. program as we knew it. And it was at least 2005. To, I'm not even sure when it was, but that's what Bobby Kennedy knew. So that's what, uh, you know, and the lawyers that I worked for in the vaccine court. So I looked because I wanted to see the cytokine storms. And you see them over and over and over again being why a person is susceptible. And, and, and again, the complexity of the ingredients in the vaccine alone, which um, nobody's ever tested them, no safety tests for, you know, 36 years. I see numbers here that it says it costs $3 million uh, for the lifetime cost of a child that's autistic, $3 million. And uh, currently, one in 54 child in America has uh, autism, 74 million children in America. If you take 3 million times 1.4 million children, that's $4.2 trillion. That's $233 billion a year on cost. Okay. Is that a form of business for big pharma or who, who makes that money? Right now, the, the families bur take that burden. It should be. The families don't have Medicare. They're, they're, their kids aren't, you know, their the kids. The family's taking that burden. Yes, the family takes that burden. The schools take that burden. The taxpayers take that burden as the taxpayers pay that court fee. What, what is that? By, by the way, so, so then you hear about the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986. It sounds like it protects the child. But the way it's worded, it, it sounds like it protects the child, but it's the complete opposite. Correct. How does that work? It's because of the corruption of the court. It was intended 
to, to protect the child. But things like the ombudsman things, it was intended to bring a quick release because, and that's what you'll read from, from Michael Hugo, you know, when they were doing these DTP cases back in the, back in the 70s and 80s, they would string them out until the family simply couldn't afford it anymore. And you're trying to take care of this massively injured a child in wheelchair drooling, the brain injury, the seizures. You're trying to find anything to help your kill. You, you can't keep your job. You've got to stay home and take care of them. You can't educate them because they're dangerous in school to themselves and to others. Yeah. And, and, and so um, the court became corrupted. And that's that chapter called Stolen Identity. And I said, I said in, in a recent talk, I, I believe it was um, the, with Thomas Paine, the pundit, a few weeks ago, I said, and I said it in the book, you know, I saw a lot of evil, as we just heard in the last hour or so, and, and nothing compared to what I saw in this court. I mean, Frank Rossetti said, I can't do it anymore, Judy. This is killing me. So all we were doing is we were expert witnesses. And I'd see these innocent patients were following the medical record like a murder mystery of how the kid gets hurt. And, you know, I'm looking like this, like it's Alfred Chekhov. Please don't give him another shot. And the doctor assures him, no, it didn't happen. No, it didn't happen. It's, it has nothing to do with it. It's coincidence. And, and the parent, if the parent is bullied, you know, um, you know, and, and, and that's the end of their child's life. And, and literally, in some cases, their lineage. These kids can't have kids. These kids, you know, that's the end of, of, of whole families. Um, and, um, in, in one of one of the cases that that we were doing and it, it's it's really it's really tough for me um, they they blame the families and um, one little girl developed seizures after a Gardasil shot and they said she had a family history of, of seizures and oh by the way the mother you know was a druggie and whatever else they try to say to these families um, and at the end of our expert report, they wrote on her death certificate, natural causes. They almost got her well after the first shot started the seizures and severe seizures. And she got fat and she had to take the drugs in there. And so she, she, you know, she stopped the seizures. The drugs eventually got control of the situation. And they said, okay, she's well. Give her the second shot. And they killed her. She died in her sleep. And, and they, they wrote natural causes. And, and, and I wrote in, in our report that the causation as I walked through the, the, this, the, the disease process of biological. And, and the last line was, you know, that her grandfather went to her funeral. It's not natural causes. This is not the natural progression of her seizure disorder. She didn't have a seizure disorder till that shot. Just because we have genetic susceptibilities and these diseases are in our family somewhere, does it mean we have to die of that disease? And that's really, I mean, over and over again, this court, nothing about it. I mean, there, it's not a court because there's no discovery. The vaccine is considered... Um, innocent at, at all costs. And, to, and the families that brave the court are just astounded by, well, wait a minute, you know, we didn't do anything wrong. We just, our child is sick. What they do to those families and those children and those people in this courtroom, um, I, I, I can only take my hats off to the few who have stuck it out and, and, and at least won and, and, and helped others because we can, we can see and we can prevent the injury. That's the only reason I do it as a, as a 
um, a, a research scientist because I just we go in and the, and the people the, the our lawyers say Judy will you call the family and give them some help because I know the natural products and the drugs that can at least stop the progression of the disease. Question, question for you: What do you say to those that say there's a uh, there's a, something going on with depopulation? There's a motive behind the scenes that someone's trying to depopulate, someone's trying to reduce population growth. Do you subscribe to any of that? No, I, I mean I I, okay. I, didn't, I didn't before this, but but as I see the the number of kids that are that are I've learned some of the recent data about kids that are sterilized from Gardasil, and so um, you know you you have to look at um, you know I'm I'm not that person that says you know I'm I'm just a scientist I Got I don't it. need conspiracy theories it's just not me. That's, but, but that, that actually gives you credibility because you're not jumping on anything that anybody else is saying and you're just kind of a, telling us that you're a scientist and that's your specialty. That's what you're uh, mainly focused on. So with today, with coronavirus that we're going through, three questions that some of the people that are close to me ask. So we know we have some kind of a, uh, we, we have the, uh, 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 the cure for AIDS, whether it's a cure, if it's a method of at least working against it, cancer coronavirus, if you yourself right now, God forbid you yourself got coronavirus, how are you going to treat yourself? You know, if you were, it's, it's Dr. Judy, you go, you find out you have coronavirus, how would you cure yourself? Well, that's easy. I already did it. Type 1 interferon. Uh, type 1 interferon, a spray in my mouth. I'm preventing it. I'm not just, I told you, if I get it, I'm one of the ones who can get most severely ill because I have these other issues from the viruses they gave me. Um, at any rate, I use a type 1 interferon spray, very, very low dose. That very thing I made, I learned of March 31st, 1980, my very first job, it cost pennies to the dollar. I prevent with, with zinc. I would, I would be getting a prescription for the hydroxychloroquine. I would be doing all the things that I always do, prevent that cytokine storm, make sure I'm not eating um, GMO, Roundup, glyphosate, because that's depleting your oxygen and we don't want to deplete our oxygen. I would stay off plane simply because of the oxidative stress over ozone layers. I would drink natural products, juices, which I carry with me should I have to travel um, because because I can have those things. So I would prevent the the disease development even if I got the infection. What, what, do, you, what do you say about folks? I, I heard a doctor the other, say, the other day talk about zinc and then he, he talked about quinine, and then he talked about tonic water. What, what do you have to say about that? Well, quinine is the, is the basis, the, um, the, the, the uh, quinolones, the quinine, that's what hydroxychloroquine, the plaquenil, these anti-malarial drugs were originally quinine-based. Um, so, um, you know, so yeah, I, you know, tonic water, quinine, I use liver bitters and things like that. So these are very valuable nutritional therapies. Um, and again, I use a hot lemon water because it's breathing in the lemon, the vitamin C, you can kill in your nasal passages if you heat it up. I use eucalyptus on a, um, a vaporizer. So I just vaporize, open up my lungs. You know, we used to do this as kids. So just enable myself to breathe, support my immune system with, you know, we know zinc has many antiviral properties and with the hydroxychloroquine, it opens up the channels so the zinc can get in. 
And so you can use low dose zinc and things like that. You don't want to use high dose of anything. I don't necessarily ascribe to some of the things like intravenous, you know, vitamin C that can be quite toxic. And again, there's a whole landscape of whatever's going on. So just low, low dose nutritional therapies. I don't eat GMO. I eat healthy eggs. I, um, I keep myself out in the sunshine with natural vitamin D. Um, I just prevent, I, and I will not wear a mask. Um, and, and, um, and no, because that'll, that'll suppress my own immune system. You're not made to breathe dirty air. You know, I'm not coughing right now. I'm not coughing right now. So um, I, I do have childhood pleurisy, so I am susceptible. And I and but I'm not caught in pleurisy means fluid in the lungs. So I'm 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 amplifying any coronavirus infection should I get infection because it needs fluid to live. And and it's that dry cough and things like that. But I'm not coughing, so I can't possibly spread the virus. These viruses live when you say aerosolize, they live in water droplets. You know, dry air is not water droplets. You know, um, yes, if you cough or sneeze, uh, a tiny little droplet containing virus can go. This is how we, we transmit things like influenza every year. But um, I certainly wouldn't get a vaccine of live flu viruses, which cause upper respiratory infections, and then put on a mask and amplify that, those live attenuated flu viruses and cripple my immune system that needs to respond to the infection. So I would simply strengthen my immune system, you know, and, and, um, and again, we're preventing natural herd immunity by not letting the people who have recovered, who are immune, who, who don't are asymptomatic, they're not spreading virus. If you're asymptomatic, by definition, you're not coughing droplets of coronavirus on people. It's not how it works. And, and so we don't wear masks. We've never worn masks with the common cold and influenza. If I'm taking care of my husband, for example, who has COPD, every year, I prevent him from getting any kind of microbial infection the same way. So I'm not treating, yes, I do keep him at home more. Yes, I do insist he take beach walks and stay outside and keep his immune system up and not eat so much crap and and drink, you know, we use tonic water. So we put tonic water with our lemon and we got a little quinine. You know, you don't need much and you don't need much for any of these. And and he hasn't been sick. He, he got his COPD from a microbial infection when he was in his 30s. He's now 81 and he hasn't been sick in years. He's fine. You, you, you hear a lot about the risk of people like yourself to come out and talk, whether it's being a whistleblower. How much of that does that still happen in the medical world where folks are coming out. Is it pretty common for folks to come out and fight the system to have something happen to them, you know, even getting killed? Um, it's really not as common as it, as it would be because of things like how journals and, and your career is destroyed or your life is destroyed. And we had, we had a whole um, chapter in our book about people who did get killed, yeah. who realized the truth and stood up for the truth and lost their lives or lost their careers, um, much like I do. So um, most people, um, no, it's not as common as it should be. But why are you doing this? Why are you? Why are you talking? Why are you? Why are you coming out and speaking? Uh, you know, the the man you're speaking against. He's on TV every other second of the day. He's on, he's on everybody's Facebook Live. He's on everybody's Instagram Live. He's on TV with Trump all the time. I'm talking about Dr. Anthony Fauci, and you're talking about him a lot. Why are you sure. doing this? Well, I, it's simply said, um, when Frank Rossetti came back in 1983 or, and, and Tony Fauci, bull, um, and he found out what I had done, 
and um, to, to he said, you did not giving him the paper. He said, you did that for me. And I said, no, asshole, I did it because it's the right thing to do. And from that day on, we've been fast friends because it's, it's, there's no other thing you can do. It's integrity. I didn't do it for you. I did it because it's the only thing I know how to do. It's the only, uh, and, and I haven't just come out two weeks ago. This, these books are 10 years worth of work. We've got everything taped, my, my career. Every time I lost a job from insolence and insubordination. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I never lost a job for any You're other rebel. reason. You're a yeah, rebel, that's, that's for sure. Good. So uh, we're going to, this is the last part of the interview. I will name a couple different organizations. You tell me the first word that comes to mind, and then I'll give you a few names and tell me the first thing that comes to mind. CDC. Uh, Center for Dishonesty and Corruption. Okay. FDA. <laughs> uh, <laughs> same, same idea, they're corrupt. Um, the, the, uh, the only thing, they're, they're supposed to be protecting the safety of food and drugs, and they've done nothing about the safety of GMOs. They, they're, they're corrupt. They're, they're, they have no authority. They gave themselves authority for e efficacy of drugs. And the FDA closed them. They're, they're corrupt. NIH. Uh, still in its, in, you know, NIH's National Institutes of Health. I still think most people in those organizations are attempting to make our health better. Um, I, I, and, and most of my colleagues, we never did anything in the National Cancer Institute or anything else other than Jake here. They're mostly honest people. It's the top that needs to be changed. OIG. Oh, is that Office of Inspector General? Yes. Um, we submitted a, uh, Frank submitted a, um, a complaint to them about the lack of ethics um, before anything ever happened to me. And my lawyer called and said, or the lawyers called him and said, withdraw it and it will go easier for you. So corrupt. They're not protecting anybody but themselves. Here's some other, see here's some names. Uh, Mike Hugo. Oh, I love him. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a fabulous, honest lawyer with integrity. He goes back all the way to the 80s. He was winning the cases to prevent those kids. He genuinely wrote that law for the Vaccine um, Injury Compensation Act with the hope that it would help these people that had been injured get something quick and end the suffering. Harry Reid. <laughs> That's bad. Um, let me think of a nicer way to say it. Um, uh, a, a puppet. Uh, um, a puppet. Uh. John Cohen. Um, a, a criminal um, investigative reporter. Um, he, 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 he purports fear, um, corruption. He, he drives the corruption. John Cohen is that reporter. And, and I wrote him an email. How, you know, how unethical. I'm proud of what I did. Really? You're proud of what you did? You know, you're proud of what you did. You know, it's not the truth. You're proud. You're proud of this. You're, you're proud of that. Where, where is he now when the CDC admitted their tests were false positive? Hey, send this article out, John. Sorry. That's one I'd like to see in prison forever. He'd be at the top of your list? No, not the top of my list. Okay, well, he'd be on the list. <laughs> he's got a long list. <laughs> George Orwell. 
<laughs> we're kind of living it, aren't we? <laughs> 1984. Yeah, that's what <laughs> this is. Frank, uh, Dr. Frank Rossetti. No, just, I mean, my, my best friend and, and um, just a, a man of total integrity and, and he's absolutely a genius. He, he just, he sees things other people don't see. As Bobby far as Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy, um, I, I've come to respect that man. Just respect is the word for his willingness to go to bat and really learn. He doesn't just say something. He doesn't do the, the investigation. Deborah Burks. <laughs> Uh, um, scarf lady. Okay, uh, uh, she, uh, a buffoon. She's 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 committed crimes in the eighties and HIV against the military, and they. Uh, I mean, they destroyed families. She's right there doing the same thing. She knows that there's no such thing as asymptomatic carriers. Oh, so we'll let you go. We'll do a, a release and we'll let everybody out of their house. And, and, and then, oh, but don't, don't get too far because as soon as the summer's over, it's coming back. No, if you have antibodies, you're immune. Stop this. Why are you redefining immunology? Because you can and it covers up your crime. So this just is more of the same. She should have been convicted a long time ago, along with Robert Redfield of the CDC. They perpetrated these frauds all the way against in, in HIV AIDS in, in the 80s and 90s. How about Tedros, the director of uh, CDC? Don't know him at all. No comment. President Trump. I think he's trying the best he can to honor the Constitution and um, and honor his promises to the people. And, and I just don't think there's any way when when everybody's lying to you at the top of what real health care is. He's not a scientist. He shouldn't be expected. He should be able to trust his leaders. Bill Gates. He knows nothing about medicine. He doesn't have a medical degree. A billion dollars doesn't. Nobody elected him anything. A billion dollars doesn't allow him to become a doctor and decide who gets what vaccines and, 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 and who can't leave their home, uh, you know, just because he has all the money. Francis Collins. Uh, I, think, I think I said a puppet. He's a good man. He just, he, he tried to do the right thing and they, you know, Tony Fauci overruled him and that's the way I feel about him. Harold Vermis. Harold Varmus, um, Nobel laureate, he was the head, he was brought back to head the National Cancer Institute with only one thing in mind, make that virus go away and destroy Frank Rossetti. And, Last but not uh, least, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Uh, again, treason is, is what he should be um, charged with and he should go right now. Uh, as far as, and, and all of the money, the last slide of that, of that truth about cancer talk was all of these things be closed, give the people the money you stole, reorganize all of HHS Health and Human Services uh, and start over. We'll rebalance the budget uh, we'll, quickly um, and, and the victims of these crimes will get restored and we can, we can use these health measures that all those brilliant people at the NIH have done for 40 years to bring about a new health for our country like we've never seen before. Dr. Judy, I'll give you the final word. You know, audience is listening. They've heard a lot. You've talked about a lot of different things. What, what do you want to share with them? Your final thoughts. Uh, I, I, I've said it a couple of times in other places because I, I feel it within our families, and that is forgive, each, forgive yourselves and forgive each other. None of us could have possibly known. The investigators in the laboratories, the scientists, Dr. Rossetti, our families, we, we trusted doctors who, who weren't taught 
They, they, were, they were taught something that was untrue. And I think that's why I have this baseball hat on for Vax 2, um, the Vax 2, the movie, The People's Truths. Um, watch it. And, and, and you see the pain and you see the doctors say they weren't told about vaccines. You see once somebody learns the truth, you see the families where one child is injured and, they, and, the, and the child, you know, uh, you know and, the, and the children that don't get vaccinated, the healthy people don't make people sick. They're the healthiest and, and yet they have to forgive the parents and the, you know, and, and the siblings because of what it does to a family structure. So if we can forgive each other and forgive ourselves, I think that's how we can usher in um, uh, just a new world of peace and, 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 and health again and joy like we haven't seen in decades. Dr. Judy, thank you for being a guest and speaking here and trying to do your best to speak our language since we're not in your world and we don't understand all the wording. I thought you did a phenomenal job of speaking our language where we understood. Again, thank you for what you're doing and your bravery. Dr. Judy, thanks again for being a guest on Valuetainment. Thanks, Patrick. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five-star. Write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick Bid-David. And I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.